You're listening to a Shockcast original. Shock. <laughs> Have you ever lost sleep because of a bad breakup? <laughs> Don't leave me. Have you ever got so confused about what you want to do with your life and your career? <laughs> I know I have, but don't worry about it. Everybody goes through that, including celebrities. This is that twenty show. Yo, guys, it is me, Ken Wasman, back on my podcast, That Twenty Show. If this is the first time you're listening to the podcast, it is where you get to know about our public figures in Malaysia. What have they gone through in their twenties? It doesn't matter if they're currently in their twenties or they passed the decade already. It's totally fine. We're all human beings. We all have our good days. And terrible days. And on today's episode, I have our very first F1 Malaysian driver. Okay, he started racing in F1 since 2001, and now whew, the amount of experiences he has accumulated. We're gonna find out all about that on today's episode. Everybody, say hello to Alex Young. Hello, Alex. Hey, everyone. So I just good to be Alex. here, man. I just met Alex a few days back, actually. So it's like back to back. I saw him on Zoom at first, and then I met him at Sunway for a racing simulator, which I will be talking about very soon. Yeah. And then now back on Zoom. So Alex, yes, like I mentioned just now, 2001 marked the first year of you racing for F1 and you were the mm. first ever Malaysian F1 driver. And back yep. then you were 25, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was 25. <laughs> that was <laughs> quite a while back. <laughs> gotta do the math, man. Yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool times for us. We gotta set the scene, I guess, a bit because back then there was no motor racing. Actually, there was a lot of motor racing in Malaysia. What am I saying? There was a lot of, we had a couple of tracks in Johor and Batutiga and Shala. Motor racing scene was actually quite vibrant back then. Growing up in the 90s, which would have been my late teens, early 20s, Formula One wasn't on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, it only came on the map, thanks to Dr. M, just towards the late 90s when Subang was built. You know, in the Malaysian usual style of rush, everyone do these things. <laughs> but we'd been building for Formula One for a good few years before that happened. So the timing was right. right. The interest was there. And then it got me into Formula One. And you started racing at 16, but F1 came when you were 25. Yeah, so I was lucky. My father ran the Shalam circuit for 10 years. Mm. He brought MotoGP and stuff like that. So I was lucky. I had a front row seat, had access to the tracks. Right. So yeah, I started at 16, which at that time was very young. I managed to talk the AAM into giving us a license at 16. I had to do a special test. 15, 16. So I could go racing, you know, because we knew if you want to go Formula One, you've got to start young. We can't wait until you got your license or whatever, like yeah. everyone was doing back then. You know, right. And father, my mother were both racing. So, like I said, just fortunate to be born to the right family. So <laughs> that worked quite well. But the thing is, uh, like, you were the one who made it big. You know, you got to F1 and everything. Was there ever a moment where your parents went, "Oh my God!" You know, we started racing first, and now our baby is gone much further already. Wow. I think my dad enjoyed it because he was living through through it, um, which is fine. You know, I mean, parents should always enjoy the success of their kids. Uh-huh. My mom was very nonplus. My mom was like, "Oh, that's nice, dear." <laughs> No, my mom's like that. She's she's super ground to her. She doesn't get excited mm. by anything. Um, mm. Likewise, when things are rough, she doesn't get upset. When she wow. when things are great, she doesn't. I mean, yeah, she'll come and celebrate with us, but she'd be like, okay, 8 p.m. I better go back to bed, sort of thing. So okay, she, she's like a rock. Got you, got you. And in your twenties, you were already catapulted a lot of exposure already. Your first race was at the Italian, uh, Italian, yeah, Italian Grand Prix, Monza. Grand Prix. There you go. Sorry, in 2001. And I don't think, say match. Are you going to say Italian match? Weren't you? No, I'm not that bad. I I know I'm not a sportsman, but not to that extent. And like, <laughs> but you know, you were very young, and people might yeah. assume that oh, you know, he has everything at a young age. But how was your twenties actually like? You know, balancing your personal life and your career. I really feel like my twenties were my like my teenage years, to be honest, because I've always been a sportsman. So even before I was when I was driving, I was water skiing a lot, so competing. So the usual thing, you don't have much time for friends, so you always. 
your training and stuff. Obviously, trying to make Formula One is a completely different step up. You know, you're based in the UK and just trying to make ends meet. But, you know, things happen very quick as well. So you just kind of just got to go with it, you know. Mm-hmm. A bit of a blur, really. You know, I thought I was a bit of a late developer. I don't think I matured very particularly quick. Although the situation called for maturity. That, that was how it is in general. Okay, yeah. now I'm going to go towards the specifics. Were there any times where you felt like, this is too pressuring, man. You know, you went to Italy straight for your first F1 race and oh my God. Because I did hear, okay, so I don't know if this is a bad thing or because I was reading this on Wiki. During your first race, there was like a gearbox failure that happened. Mm-hmm. That's something massive, right? The thing is, if you just jump straight into Formula 1, you've never done any racing, all these things would seem kind of overwhelming. But I've been doing a lot of racing up to that, you know. I've been in crashes, I've been in fires, I've had my injuries. And each step along the way is a lesson, really. It's like class, you yep. either learn, okay, so this is a bit tough, uh, do I stop or do I carry on? So you have these small little things that, that kind of build up and go get bigger and bigger. Yeah. So by the time you get to Formula One, it's it's all right. You'd have jumped through hoops and hurdles many times over. Your determination and your will to succeed would have been hardened by those trials and tribulations. So when you get there, it's never, oh my God, this is too much. It's, can I go further? Can I go faster? Can I go harder? What more can we do? It's yeah. never, this is too much. If it's too much, I'll quit when I'm 16. True, true. And that is your passion anyway. It's something that you've been wanting to do. It's a dream come true for you, I believe. I was fixated on it. I was fixated on it. I was obsessed. People say you need to have passion for what you do. And that's true. Yeah. But if you want to compete on a world level and reach a world level and you go to want to try and shine out against many, many thousands of people. Passion's not enough. Passion's it's nothing. You need to be obsessed. Um, mm-hmm. And obsession sometimes not very healthy, especially mm-hmm. in your 20s. So like you did say just now that every time there were hiccups, it doesn't make you want to, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. It more of it propelled you forward in your career. But was there one specific incident where you felt, you know, this is it. I got to really grow up, man. This is the real deal. I got to do something more. Yeah, having a son. <laughs> Alistair, you watching this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean... Um, he's also a racer right now, just following your footsteps. No, I mean, when you're in these sort of things, you have a very selfish mindset. Um, sportsmen tend to be very selfish oh, because yeah. you're all concerned just about your own thing. You don't care about anything else. People will say, oh, aren't you concerned? You get hurt for this or that. And it's like... <laughs> Nola, why should it bother me? I'm dead anyway. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're very much fixated on just getting the result and nothing else matters. So getting hurt is really low down on the priorities. But obviously, when you get married and you have a kid, that changes everything. You got so, married in your 20s or 30s? 20s. Oh, 20s as well. This is interesting. And then obviously, I got divorced as well in my late 20s. Uh, no, early 30s. Divorce my early 30s. Now that, that humbles you. You know, those sort of things always humble you. It's the same for everyone. It involves other people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, getting hurt in a car, you know, my parents be fine because they know what I do. But obviously, when you make life decisions that can affect your son, and I'm not talking about driving per se, but I'm talking about personal choices, financial stability and home and that sort of stuff can be far more traumatic for a kid than what goes on outside. That was really like, okay, well, I better make better choices. When you're 20s, sometimes you can be like, ah, make bad choices, who cares? That's how we can still afford to make choices. After your 20s, okay, can't be that adventurous anymore, right? Okay, we've been talking too much about yeah. your career. I think let's jump on to Alex Young behind the car, behind racing and everything. How were you like as a person? Were you the kind who was very work-oriented or did you also have times where you were a party boy back then? Well, when I like to do things, I like to do them properly. If I'm going to enjoy myself, I'm going to enjoy myself. I don't like doing things half-heartedly because I don't like that sensation we wake up in the middle of the night that I, uh, I should have done better. I, uh, you know, I hate that oh, feeling. Oh, it's annoying. You know, you lose sleep over it. So yeah. I'd rather go hard and regret later. Not regret because you always know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. So you always know the risks. 
mm-hmm. all the rewards. But I would rather try and do things properly, you know. I see, I see. You're a like very focused person. Nah. This is Alex mm-hmm. Young. I'm trying to break him down tomorrow, like, you know, like, ooh, what are your naughty sides? No, guys, I was very focused. This is why he is the brilliant Alex Young, guys. This is why you 20-year-olds got to listen to this episode as well. We talked about how you got married in your 20s, right? Prior mm-hmm. to getting married, did you have a lot of time to actually, you know, date around or were you just too busy with work? Oh my God, no time, huh? No, no, no. My wife was my first girlfriend. Wow. That was a problem, you see, because I wasn't very good with the whole girlfriend situation. I'm surprised, Alex. Um, Even till now, when I posted your picture on my Instagram, the amount of ladies who commented, oh my God, Alex Young. Oh my God, the Omo pun handsome gila. And here he is telling me and everyone listening now, back then I was not a ladies man. I didn't know how to talk to No, girls. no, 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 no. So the difference, I was a ladies man. I had <laughs> plenty of things happened, but I wasn't interested. Nothing serious. The, you didn't like anything serious. No, I, I found it really hard to communicate with women. Ah. Um, so it was very weird for me. So I was like, oh, okay, um, see ya. Bye-bye. <laughs> um, and it wasn't that I was scared of commitment. I just found communication very tough. So Ariana was the first person that really blew me away. So you make a big effort. But now I look back in hindsight, relationships are like driving a car or riding a bike. You have to practice at them mm-hmm. if you want to be good at them. Yeah. So I was having to learn how to be in a relationship, how to communicate. And that wasn't very good. I was shit at it, to be honest. That made the relationship very hard. So that's something I realized, you know, when the divorce came through my early 30s. Well, late 20s, I already knew it was going south. I have to get better at practicing relationships. I have to get better at choosing relationships as well. Because, you know, if you don't communicate with people, you don't know what's up. So that's what the 20s sometimes felt like. You felt like you're on for a ride. I knew what I wanted, but how to do it and how to get onto it, you just didn't have that information available. So you just go like, okay, just do it. So a lot of mistakes get made along the way. You know, that's something I think about a lot. You know, you've been to the academy. We coach a lot of drivers. We really talk about things like that with the drivers who come up about, okay, so what's the next step? What are you going to do? And I think that those are good steps to think in life, not just right. in sports, you know, because it cuts down the pain later on. It's applicable in any type of situation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you said you were not very good at communicating with women back then, but at the same time, you... Well, full stop. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. But, but especially women. Yeah. I think I've got a lot better at it recently, to be honest. Still not great, but I think I'm a lot better at it now. There are so many questions I want to ask Alex Jung right now, but you are a serious person, you know. And the questions I want to ask, but I have a feeling if I ask Alex, his answers are like this. They were okay. I don't like saying stuff like, hey, this is what I am or this is who I am, because that's such a lot of crap. People always say that. and uh, right, right. The one thing I've learned is, whenever I've said that, I know two or three ladies, I go, what was I thinking? That was so wrong. And it's so conceited to think, because you learn as you go along. So, like you said just now, about how our different attributes, it could change, you know, we could say we're like this now, but tomorrow we're like, why did I say this yesterday? You know, I don't have the same perception about that, things like this, right? But were there any instances where girls thought that you're very approachable and they wanted to like, no, hey, you know, Alex, let's go on a date. Are you going to take me out for dinner? Well, I'm not going to say no, am I? <laughs> <laughs> that sometimes happen. What's that Jim Carrey movie? Plays his character, which cannot say no. and says, say yes, yes, men. Yes, men. Sometimes it's like that. It's a, why not? <laughs> More opportunities, you know? Just keep saying mm. yes. I don't know where that could lead you to. Yeah, just say yes, yeah. What was something that you said yes to that till this date you're so happy you did? There are a lot of things I've said yes to that at the time I'm like, oh, you all... <laughs> <laughs> like that. But years later, I go, that's a really cool story. I'm not going to give you those stories. Come on, they're, come on. There's sort of story where you're just like, I know when I'm older and I'm like, wow, that's a really cool story, man. I might even tell that to my grandkids one day. <laughs> but um, it's still too fresh. Those Alex, moments are for, for the decades. The ones who are listening, 
are basically like your future grandkids kind of age. So it's okay if you want to share. You know, I'm just saying, Alex. It's totally no, fine. no, no. When I'm old and grey and I'm and I've got nothing to lose, those are when those stories come out. <laughs> okay, I'll contact you again in 20, 30 years from now for that. Yeah, we can do that lifetime show, not just twenties, like lifetime. Okay? So <laughs> yeah, there's exactly. no limit to that. What about friendships? Normally, all these overachievers and hard workers, they tend to lose friends along the way. For some, they get affected. For some, I don't really mind, you know, because friends come and go. What about you? Well, I wasn't very good with the friends things to begin with. So I didn't have that many friends. But the ones I do are still there today, even though I don't really keep in touch with them. That's something I don't, you'd never really appreciate in your twenties. You really appreciate that a lot later because you do stupid things in your 20s and sometimes, oh, he won't be hurt or something. You do something like that. Luckily, I didn't have that many friends to hurt my 20s. It's something I realize people do. So yeah, as an older person, you're right. You have less friends because you're more discerning Mm. and you have less time. You're more specific about who you want to spend that time with. But it also gives you an appreciation of where you want to be later on, what sort of person you want to be. Mm -hmm. In your 20s, what sort of person you want to be is dictated because you think you're going to live forever. In your 40s and late 30s, you realize you're not going to live forever. You're going to die. What does that That's say? That's prioritize. What we yeah, yeah. Who do we spend our time with? Yeah. That does change your outlook to friends. Not just how you want to be treated, but also about how, what sort of person that makes you if you treat your that's right, um, that's right. In 22, you know, easy come, easy go. <laughs> exactly. It's really the who cares kind of decade, right? Okay, now we see yeah. Alex Jung as a very composed, very grounded kind of person. Have you always been like this? Because of course, when you were in your 20s, I was not even born yet, Alex. So how were you like back then? 20s was tough for me because I struggled to communicate. I just wanted to go drive. You want to ask me something, I wouldn't be able to answer. But I wanted to change that. I wanted to get better at it. And that's all sparked off by having a kid, going through a divorce. You don't want to repeat those mistakes. I'm a lot better at communication. I'm a bit more outgoing. Yeah. uh, Where I was very reserved in my 20s. Okay, I'm just going to rewind a little bit because you did mention that you went through a divorce in your early 30s. And you said that Mm. that was your first proper relationship as well, right? Your marriage? Mm -hmm. That was your first. Yeah. But how was that period like for you? Was it difficult to well, move but, on? But when we first got on, she moved back to New York for a year. That was tough. That felt like heartbreak. That felt like the 20s heartbreak. Oh, crap. Oh, I can't live. You know, oh, the this, that, that. <laughs> but you guys were still together. It was just an LDR, a long distance relationship. No, it wasn't a long distance relationship. We lost oh. touch for about a year. You know, when you're a teenager in your 20s, you feel things so much more because it's the first time you're feeling it. I'm glad I didn't have to go through that. In my 30s, that would have been messy. You get older, it's very easy to just say, yeah, naive, yeah, kids, ah, they're stupid. It's not that at all. You know, yeah. emotions are serious things, dude. They, you, they can manifest in physical ways. So when you first time you're feeling it, it's like, holy crap, this is big, you know? But then you go around the mill a little bit and you're like, okay, well, obviously it's still big, it's still traumatic, but there are more important things. There's trying to provide a home and another life to look after. And then suddenly all these other things, you know, they're bigger priorities. You know, that, and that, that hits home. And you're just like, okay. Yeah. And I like how you said that it's unfair to say we were naive because I guess now we manage our emotions better because we've been through more similar things. So we're like, you know what? I got out of that. This is bad too, but I'm going to get out of this too. Hopefully. Exactly. And when you went through that 20s heartbreak, you were very busy with your races and everything. Yeah. And it was hard to focus. But the good thing about racing is you have to hyper-focus. So that helped me in my relationship. It was possible to focus on things. and Yeah, it's not really the most healthy way to do things um, because it manifests in other ways later on. It's like you were suppressing um, your feelings, just sweeping it under the rug while it's actually still there. Yeah. And that's a very useful thing to do, especially Mm. if you're going to drive a car 300 kilometers per hour. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. So how were you affected? I just felt very sad. Get practice of managing your emotions. And Mm. if you got that practice, you never feel like it's too much. I see. You just feel sad. But it didn't affect your performance in any way? Hard to say. 
probably did in subtle ways that are hard to quantify. In your 20s, do you remember any moments where you got scolded or something and you were somewhere far away? Not in Malaysia. This is a big race and you're like, ooh. Again, I'm not asking you if you wanted to give up. It's more of just a moment where it was intense. Well, Formula 1 was intense. No doubt about it. Because I wanted so badly to do well and it didn't go well. Uh, the results were not good enough, and uh, I was out of Formula One after what a year and a half. So that was hard to get over. That was really, really tough to get over because that's what I'd geared my whole life to. There are these disappointments that everyone has, you know, and, and dealing with them is part of life. It was very important for me at that time not to become someone that blamed everyone else for it, though, because you saw a lot of drivers blaming the teams, blaming this and blaming that. And sure, there were periods I did do that, but long term, I really set out to not do that as much as possible because then I realized I'd always be carrying the trauma of not going through it and not getting what I wanted, which I'd invested so much into. I guess my mid to late 20s, I was spending all my time trying to forget about it. Mm. And literally, I spent a couple of years, I didn't even look at Formula One. Yeah. Don't sleep through the night for years. But it was important not to play the blame game, although I wanted to because it's a lot easier to play the blame game because then you can say it's not your fault. Mm. And it's just a short-term relief, I believe. I guess. So there's a lot of time spending figuring out, okay, how do I get through that and try and set new goals, try and set new things to look after. And, and what do you think is important? Is it what other people say or do you have your own set of values that are more important? Deciding maybe I don't even have any values. So what should my values Aww. be? And something like that. Right, oh, no, right. I mean, everyone does, but a lot yeah. of the values are always predetermined by your environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you said you had sleepless nights for years because of that, because of F1. I do get affected if things don't go to plan. So that's why I say when I do decide to do something, I want to do it properly. Or if I am going to go and enjoy myself, I'm going to do it properly. All out. <laughs> exactly. I, you know what I say, work hard, party harder. That is probably your life philosophy anyway. This is how Alex Young does it. You know, it's all out in whatever he does. <laughs> and when you started off racing back then, of course, you didn't have all these technologies, like how the young ones right now have all the simulator racing mm. machines. So we're going to talk about the E1 Championship right now with Alex. It's ongoing now to January. Tell us more yeah. about this. How interesting is so, this? So here's the plug, right? I mean, yeah. so we're just talking about my life in the 20s. Um, growing up here, we didn't have access to Formula 1 in the 90s. You know, if I had to watch Formula 1, I had to wait for someone to bring in a VHS tape from oh overseas God. in the 80s and early 90s. So there was no knowledge about it. So really, you're just getting drips and drabs. And then I had to go to the UK to get the information. Now it's all online. So that's the exciting thing about simulator racing. I got a couple of kids racing for me who have just done simulator racing. And they've only been doing it for a few years. And the knowledge is here. I, I go through with them and stuff and they know stuff. I'm like, wow, that took me 10 years to learn. And you've learned it online. And I'm like, wow. a little bit like, what the heck? You know, <laughs> but it's really great. It's, you know, it's a real equalizer. And that's what's so cool about it. Anyone can do it. As long as they've got the passion, they can go online. And now we have the academy and we have uh, E1 Championship. You know, E1 Championship is supposed to be the creme de la creme. You know, because we've got a lot of good kids here now who are racing at a very high level. We need, just need a real kick-ass championship to show off their skills. Right. That's what E1 is supposed to be. So it's and, F1, uh, but E1 because E because it's basically virtual. Yeah. yeah okay. Like okay. Yeah. Cool. 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 <laughs> People can actually watch this on the EGG network. Yes. Channel 800 yes. Astro, I believe. Yes. Yes. Um, and Astro have been doing a great job. The production of the show has been really cool. Been very happy with the racing. It's been dope. Can we watch it every day or are there like specific days that we can watch E1? Every Thursday night. Yeah, this season goes on for eight rounds and it's every Thursday night. We take a two-week break for Christmas and New Year. And then we'll start up again in March. What? Another? Oh, okay. It's, it's, yeah. it's well, not like, like a the virtu- year thing. No, it's a virtual thing, man. We don't like have to put the cars yeah. in containers and stuff. So we take a couple months break and we'll start it again. 
Um, oh, that's nice. That is nice. Are you trying to get your son to be an F1 racer like you as well? <laughs> no, not at all. Trust me. If I got a weekend off, the last thing I want to do is spend my time going to a kart track or something to watch <laughs> some, some punk go around and chewing up my money. Oh my goodness. But he is putting a lot of effort in. He does say he wants to do that. So we are trying to support him. The simulator racing helps, you know, because there's no racing at the moment. If he can keep getting good results in the simulator racing, then uh, we'll see what we can do. So far, he's showing commitment. And it's hard to say no when they show the commitment, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And he's part of E1 as well, yes? Yeah, he got a last-minute drive at Safe House. Although, he didn't have a good last race. He got disconnected. That's one oh, of the problems no. at online. Oh, yeah. Back, um, I'm not going to see which broadband supplier, okay. but somewhere in Subang went down. Oh, no. What are some of the other limitations of sim racing? Well, it's not the actual car, but... There are no limitations I can think of. It does everything, you know. It's just not the real car. <laughs> but I'm telling you, the steering, the what you do, the setup, how you drive, everything is exactly like real life. I mm. did try the sim machine and I felt like I was literally racing. But Alex was right beside me, so it's very pressuring, guys. Okay, imagine F1 Malaysian mm. uh, racer beside me telling me how to drive. Even though it's just sim racing, it was pretty crazy. Can they go and try the machine themselves? Sure. Yeah, so that's the other thing we've tried to do is because we've been running these competitions, E-Racing GP and now E1, we thought we got so many questions about setting up coaching and stuff. So that's what we've done. We got an academy in Kalanojaya, the Sunway Serene, the mm-hmm. expert there. So you come down, you can do some lessons there. And the cool thing is, and no one's done this that I can see worldwide, is we're taking the professional lessons I know from the one, from the more, from Nürburgring, from Champ Car, from Ovals, from everything. And I'm putting it into the simulator. So because not all games are equal. I can choose like which games from which bit. Okay. Yeah, and, and we can look at data and stuff. So we're doing actual professional lessons. We do the basics as well, but now we've got professional lessons as well. Wow. So it's really cool. So instead of spending 8,000 euro to do two days of testing in a Formula 3 car, you can come and do it for virtually nothing well nothing is it free no it's not nothing (laughs) i was free for you and like, free for you. If, if it's like free for everybody, trust me. I'm like, I was gonna tell my friends, guys, that's our new lepak spot. No longer mama right. and all that. Now we just go and sing these together. Okay, that's our arcade. This generation's arcade. But what is the price yeah. like if people are interested to go and try it out? So it's like learning to play an instrument. If you want to go for piano lessons, how much do you pay? It's like 100, 150 ringgit per lesson. session. So, okay, per session. So that's the same thing. You want to get a black belt in Taekwondo, you pay for those lessons. So we're pricing ourselves the same thing, same way. We give you big discounts, like a 20% discount if you buy packages of 10. If you come on a weekday, even more discounts, that sort of thing. If you're going to walk in on a weekend and you need an instructor, then it's going to be the basic price is 150 an hour. So you guys can go and try it out at Sunway Serene X Park, which is in Kranajaya. Mm-hmm. And it's been such a good episode, mm-hmm. Alex. And I like how your whole family is into racing, man, from your parents and then it's you. And then now it's your son. Oh my goodness, I'm seeing yeah. the generation, the young generations. Huh? Yeah, well, let's see. Let's see. Still early days. <laughs> Your grandparents, were they also into racing as well? No, dude. No, no. My grandparent, my granddad was into construction here. But he came over from China, uh, what, just before World War II. So he's been here a while. <laughs> I see, but there was I no see. racing back then. So it only started from your parents and it's you and mm. hopefully future generations to come as well. Alex, yeah, thank you so much. We'll it's, been a, it's been a really great chat. I've learned so much. Even though you are very, like I said, very simple man, like, you know, short answers, but still, guys, I think you got to see Alex Jung on a different spectrum as well, not just from his F1, macho man spectrum. He had days where he was sad too. He had his sleepless nights because of F1. I can conclude now that I think what killed you in your 20s was career-related, not really love issues, huh? Well, when you, when you shape your life up for one thing, that's what happens. That's a problem with obsession. It's not really that healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it could go both ways, right? But either way, you know, mm. you're still the Alex Jung. And thank you so much, Alex, once again, for joining me here. Thank you.